Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. If you've ever spent time reading the book of Daniel, you, you may have thrown up your hands in frustration. That man had a lot of dreams. That man saw a lot of beasts. That man spent time in the company of lions and made kings uncomfortable. Dr. Jennings joins us today via Skype to talk about Daniel 11 and the kings of the north and the south. Trust me, you'll want to hear what Dr. Jennings and Daniel have to say. Dr. Jennings, the time is yours. Charles, this is a very complicated chapter. And the first thing I want to say is I'm not here to argue with anybody. There's probably as many interpretations of this chapter as there are people on the earth. Yes. I'm going to share some insights, and I encourage people to contemplate them for themselves, study for themselves, come to their own conclusion. But I'm not here to try and overthrow or argue with anybody about that. And I want our focus to primarily end up on not the historic stuff, but how this chapter has some wisdom for us today in 2020. Very good. And so in order to understand Daniel 11, in my view, you need to kind of understand that there's a pattern to the prophecies that are revealed in the book of Daniel. And that pattern is they start about the time that Daniel was alive, and they proceed to the second coming of Christ. And each time they seem to give more detail than the one before. In Daniel 2, there's the prophecy of the multi-metal man, if you remember the statue, oh, yeah. and it starts with Babylon and goes to Medo-Persia, then Greece, then Rome, fractured Europe, and the coming of Christ. Daniel 7, there's four beasts, and that starts with, again, Babylon, goes to Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, fractured Europe, then it brings in the detail of papal Rome, and then the coming of Christ. And then Daniel 8 and 9 has the prophecy of the ram and the goat, which starts this time with Medo-Persia, goes to being overthrown by Greece, followed by pagan Rome, and eventually transformed into papal Rome or Christian Rome. But this prophecy gives more detail, specifying actually the time the Messiah would come, how Satan would counterattack to seek to overthrow the Messiah's work and infect the church with misunderstandings about God's law and what Christ achieved, followed by an end-time people being prepared to meet Christ and then the second coming of Christ. So it gives a little more detail. And then Daniel 11. Daniel 11 is king of the north versus king of the south, and in the first four verses it starts again with Medo-Persia, specifically specifying the third year of Cyrus' reign when this particular prophecy starts, and it lists that he would be followed by so many kings, and we can list those names, but we're not going to. Ultimately, the fourth one that comes, which is more powerful, was Xerxes, and that he would stir up the Greeks, and that, of course, that's what happened, and that he would be overthrown, and he was eventually overthrown by Alexander the Great, and that that kingdom would be divided into four, and that's what happened. His kingdom was divided into four parts, and that's all in the first four verses of Daniel 11. The next verses, 5 to 14, depict the king of the north versus the king of the south back and forth with the Hellenistic dynasties, and there's many Bible commentaries that will give you the specifics on who those various kings were. 16 through 28, we have the appearance of Rome as the king of the north, establishing itself in the beautiful land, which refers to, of course, Israel, and that this particular power overthrows, kills the prince of the covenant, which refers to the crucifixion of Christ and helps us recognize this as pagan Rome. And then verse 29 to 39, we now transition from literal genetic Israel to all those who accept 
Jesus as their Savior are heirs to Abraham as the New Testament. So we transition from the death of Christ now, we move into the New Testament area where we have spiritual Israel and heirs to Abraham, and from the pagan Rome to the Christian Rome as king of the north. And so here's the theme that emerges that we're going to be able to unpack for today. The king of the north, which was Babylon, Persia, and Rome, represent powers that claim to believe in God, but use the methods of this world, imposed law and inflictions of punishment, coercive force. Nebuchadnezzar claimed to accept Daniel's God, yet he passed laws and enforced observance of it. You'll find that in Daniel 3, 28 and 29. Darius in Medo-Persia accepted Daniel's God, but used imposed law to enforce it, Daniel 6, 23 and 27. And then Rome became papal Rome, which taught the idea that God uses law like humans use law and must punish lawbreakers for religious differences imposed imperial law. This is King of the North methodology. King of the South is represented by Egypt. And Egypt was famous for Pharaoh's statement, who is God that I should obey him? And so the King of the South becomes powers that represent godlessness, atheism, humanism, secularism, progressivism. This is King of the South methodology. And the King of the South, if you read in the verses that come along, the King of the South attacks the King of the North in this context with the French Revolution. 1798 is really when the last push of the King of the South began. This was when they went into the French Revolution, the goddess of reason, denying all gods, the start of the cultural movement of atheism. They took the Pope captive and he died in captivity. And so this was really the King of the South's push. And the verses 40 through 45 depict now where we are in Earth's history, where the secular humanism is pushing against religious imperialism, Mm. this idea of religiosity taking control of governments to promote religious law. And we've had 200 years now in which progressivism has been pushing against religious conservatism. Mm -hmm. Is that where we are now? Is that what we're seeing today? So in verse 40, it says, at the time of the end. end, Well, the time of the end is the time right before the second coming of Christ. The king of the south will engage the king of the north in battle, and the king of the north will storm out against him. The time of the end is where we're at today, and refers to this period. And so the king of the south, which is secular humanism, atheism, godless liberalism, progressivism, attacks the king of the north, Christianity and its various agencies, that have been seeking historically to, for instance, pass laws on marriage being one man and one woman, or restricting alcohol as in prohibition, or laws against homosexuality, etc. Over the last two centuries, you've seen that secular humanism has been pushing hard against the king of the north, but the prophecy, if we're right, says that the king of the north's religious imperialism is going to storm out against the king of the south. So we're about to see a real resurgence coming back against secular humanism in the world. We're on the cusp of seeing that. So here's one example. Conflict over whether we should have prayer in schools or not. Mm -hmm. Christianity promoting prayer in schools, king of the north, versus secular humanism opposing prayer in schools. Could good Christian people be tricked into choosing to side with the king of the north and pass laws to make prayer in schools, even for people who don't believe in God? Could other people recognize the principles of liberty, side with the king of the south, secular humanism, and take God out of the schools, thus indoctrinating a generation of people into a godless worldview and make it harder for them to be saved? 
Now, if you think about these forces, nationalism or conservatism is self-protective. Yeah. It's in-group survival. It creates strong boundaries. It isolates. It withdraws. This is King of the North activity. These events increase when we have a sense of chaos, threat, insecurity, pestilence, food shortages, wars, violence, riots. Fear drives people towards more conservative King of the North approaches. When times are very good, lots of safety, lots of money, lots of prosperity, then things tend towards King of the South, progressivism, liberalism, loose borders, and so forth. The prophecy is suggesting that the King of the South pushes so hard that structures in certain societies become loosened and we get more chaos, we get more economic collapse, we get more potential diseases being spread, more violence, more murders, more chaos, to the point that then the King of the North storms back to bring back order and a sense of safety. Yeah, yeah. So the next verse says, he will invade the beautiful land, many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered. What does this mean? The beautiful land is a metaphor for where God dwells. Yeah. It's suggesting that this philosophy of religious conservatism will infect or attack the minds of God's people. The commandment-keeping people will be tempted to join with religious conservatism to gain control of governments to promote religious agendas or conservative principles in law and force their way. Edom, Moab, Ammon, these were nomadic people who maintained an independence from states and state governments, suggesting that those who maintain their independence from joining these groups will be delivered from the king of the north. They won't buy into it. They won't be part of it. Mm -hmm. Questions so far? Yeah, you're painting a picture here of two extremes, the south and the north, Egypt and Babylon, uh, godlessness and using God as a force. Isn't there any middle ground anywhere, Dr. Jennings? Isn't there someplace we can stand where we are not going to be swayed by either one of these things? Where would you put Christ in this model? This is the entire point of this prophecy. Historically, Israel was always in the middle between the king of the north and the king of the south. Mm. These battles were being fought back and forth, and Israel was constantly in the middle of them in the Old Testament times, constantly being overrun. God's true people, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, taken captive. They never bowed the knee. They stayed loyal to God, but they had all this chaos of these two systems. Now that we transition into the New Testament era, when it's not simply genetic, but it's all those who are faithful and loyal to God like Abraham was, we find this becomes a global conflict between two philosophical approaches, both of which are on Satan's side. The king of the north represents religious imperialism and coercion, which is Satan's false Christianity and false religious approach, misrepresenting God's kingdom. And we find secular humanism, atheism, godlessness on the other side. Both are uh, Satan's tools, and they are attacking philosophically the hearts and minds of people to draw God's true people into siding with one of the other. And God's true people are called out of them. Come out of them, my people, to not be part of either one of these systems. So you're exactly right. It's a great trap. And I can't tell you, and that's why the end time deceptions the Bible tell us are going to be so subtle that even the very elect potentially, if it were possible, could be deceived. Because particularly the king of the north, the religious imperialism, who so many seems so right in the Christian circles. And you're going to find that this is going to be a great battle between these two forces, and it's unfolding right before our very eyes. Here in in America, we see secular progressivism really in many, many cities now leading to chaos Mm -hmm. as the law and order is being broken down. 
And I can think you can feel the energy building that is going to cause a very powerful backlash of law and order that is going to unfold. If you go in the next verse, in verses 42 to 43, it says that he will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. That's the king of the south. Progressivism is not going to escape this. The king of the north will gain control over the treasures and silver and gold and riches of Egypt, and the Libyans and Nubians will be in submission. Now, what does this mean if we interpret these symbols? That the conservative, the king of the north, religious imperialism is going to ultimately take the media take the money, take the land, take the properties. They're going to take control of all these liberal organizations for their own agenda. And that the Libya and Nubia represents Africa other than Egypt. And so people of color will submit to this is what it's suggesting. And if you look around the world right now, where will you find the strongest support for religious imperialism, conservative religious laws? You will find them in the countries of Africa and South America. They very much want religious conservative order brought to society. And they're very intolerant of gay rights agenda and the liberal progressive agenda. And this is what the Bible is teaching. It also says that a report comes out of the east and the north that will alarm the king of the north, and he goes out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate it. In the Bible, the east and the north are where God dwells. Satan wanted to throne himself up in the heights of the north. The message comes out of the east, that God's messengers come from the east, the gospel message comes. And so at the end of time, a people of God are going to arise that are going to give a message of God's true character of love, truth, freedom, his methods, which expose religious imperialism as a lie and godless atheism and secular humanism also as a lie. And the king of the north is enraged by this group of people and will seek to destroy them. Wow. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. <music>